Well, today is Palm Sunday, kicking off Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter, and in Christian tradition, we celebrate Jesus's triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, when he rode on the back of a borrowed donkey into the city of Jerusalem, and he was greeted by crowds of people waving palm branches, laying their coats, their garments out in the street for him to walk on, all acts of worship, and they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is, as we know, the ultimate irony because the same people crying Hosanna on Sunday were the same people calling for his crucifixion by Friday. And I imagine if Jesus was to have posted to the gram that week, one of those how it started, how it's going memes. You know the ones that happy couples like to post when they've been together for a while, their cute college picture, the first one they took together where they're tan and wrinkle-free, and then 10 years later, they've multiplied into kids, and they have a house and a dog, and they want you to know that it started great, but it's going even better. <laughs> Jesus's how it started, how it's going would have looked a lot like worship to whipped, worship to crucified in five days' time. What a commentary on human nature. That word Hosanna means God save, God save. The people were crying out to God to save them and at the same time they were worshiping Jesus as that savior. So how did things go south so quickly? How did things take such a nosedive in such a short amount of time? Well, the fact is, is that Jesus didn't quite meet their expectations. Their hope wasn't in who Jesus was, their hope was in who they expected him to be. They loved their version of Jesus. They loved their image of Jesus. They loved the Jesus that they believed would free them from Roman oppression. They loved the Jesus that was gonna come as an earthly king and liberate them by subjecting Gentile nations beneath them. They were expecting for generations a descendant of King David. They were not expecting the Son of God. They wanted their freedom. Of course, they wanted their freedom, but the problem was they didn't recognize their problem. And when you don't recognize your problem, you don't recognize your solution when it comes riding into town. They thought their problem was natural, but Jesus came to be a supernatural solution. And today, church, we have the same problem. We have the same problem. We live in a world that has misdiagnosed itself, a world that is sick with sin, people suffering from its symptoms, Yet it doesn't know the name of its disease and it's reaching for healing in all of the wrong places. And it is for these sick that Jesus came. He said, I came for the sick. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. He came for those with unmet expectations. He came for those who have tried everything and yet are weary of what the world has to offer that leaves them empty. He came for those who hunger. He came for those who thirst. They're the very reason he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the very reason he hung on a cross on Good Friday was to be the answer to the people's cry, Hosanna, God, save. God, save. But Paul writes, in Romans 10, 14, how can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them? How can they cry Hosanna if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? That is a good question, Paul. How can they be healed 
if they remain misdiagnosed. And I want to bring you a message this morning called, It's My Job. It's my job. Turn to your preferred neighbor, look them square in the eye, and say, it's my job. Turn to your second choice, no offense, second choice, and say, it's my job. A few years ago, my son was around the age of two, maybe a little bit younger, and he was in the care of our daycare staff at the time I was up in my office, and two of the staff came up to see me, and I could tell that their faces were white as ghosts. Something had happened. So immediately, my blood pressure starts to rise. And they go on to tell me that my son had been hanging onto the baby gate, and out of nowhere, unprovoked, he just falls forward onto his face and stops breathing. One of the other staff come and pick him up, and his eyes were kind of rolling in the back of his head, and I could tell that this was traumatizing for them. I'm now shaking. They got him to come too, but we still didn't know what was wrong. So my husband and I put him in the car. We take him to a nearby hospital. They run all these tests and they come and tell us that there is something wrong with our son's heart. He has a very abnormal heart rate. That we needed to get in an ambulance right now, drive an hour and a half to the nearest children's hospital and see a specialist. So that next hour and a half, I am calling down heaven over my son, wondering if this is the moment that all of my worst fears are coming true. We get to the hospital, we're greeted by a great team. They run all the tests, see everything they need to see, and then the specialist walks in, and he has kind of a smirk on his face. And he says, there's absolutely nothing wrong with your son. He said, what the first hospital diagnosed as a problem in the world of pediatrics is entirely normal. Your son isn't sick. Your son doesn't have a heart condition. Your son's not dying. Your son had a temper tantrum. And if you know my son, you would know this to be true to his character. He held his breath as a form of passive aggression. The doctor said, has he ever done this before? I said, no, he's never done it before. He said, well, he might do it again. I said, he will not in Jesus' name. I rebuke that. We are not doing this ever again. Two hospitals. One had insight that the other hospital did not because one knew how my heart son was supposed to sound. So they knew the difference between a problem and a perceived problem. The expert was able to diagnose my son accurately because he was an authority on the subject. Thank God the first hospital didn't leave my son undiagnosed had he had an issue because misdiagnosis is dangerous. Church, our world is misdiagnosed. And if you get the wrong diagnosis, you get the wrong treatment plan. You get the wrong treatment plan. What the world needs, what the world desperately needs are people, is a church who knows its authority, who understand its authority, who walks in its authority, who's able to speak to the world the truth in love about its condition, able to see beneath symptoms, able to see beneath behaviors, able to speak to the roots of issues and offer people the same healing that we've been given. Say, it's my job. It's my job. Acts chapter three, Peter and John are walking a familiar path to the temple. Peter, the original gangster disciple, John the beloved. I love the dichotomy between these two men. And what's happened in the church up to this point is Jesus has ascended into heaven. 
He's baptized his disciples in the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up before all Jerusalem, preaches to thousands, 3,000 get added to their number. They too are baptized in the Holy Spirit and the church is exploding in power. And on their way to the temple, there is a lame man, lame from birth, laying outside the gate begging. Verses three through five say, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for cash money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us, look up. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. This lame man was doing exactly what he knew to do. He had a problem and he had a treatment plan. He had a need and he was getting his need met. He was a layman who needed money, so he showed up, he begged, he got money. He showed up, he begged, he got money. He showed up, he begged, he got money. Another day, another dollar. And this is how a man born lame survives. This is not how a man lives. It's how a man survives. Jesus came to give us life and to give us life to the full. And yet we are surrounded by people born lame. We are all born lame into a condition called sin, but so many of us are still suffering, stuck in that condition. Maybe you can relate to that pain. Maybe you were born into a home with a mother who didn't meet your emotional needs. Maybe you had a father who withheld his approval, withheld his presence. Maybe he walked out on you, abandoned you. Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe your parents divorced and in the fracturing of that relationship, your identity was fractured. And when you have a need, it's hard to look anywhere else. Sometimes it's the only thing that we can see because it's pain that demands our time, our energy, our focus, our attention. This man had his eyes down on his need, on his problem, on his pain, his cup out to the world. And I think so many people around us are positioned this way in life. Eyes down on their pain, cup out to the world, begging for the world to throw them a bone. Come on, just put some affirmation in here. I don't need a lot, just a little bit. Make me feel important, follow me. Slide into my DMs. My husband doesn't want me, you want me. Make me feel wanted. My wife doesn't see me, I like the way you see me. I don't need a lot, just a little bit. Beggars can't be choosers. Put some money in here, put some affirmation in here, some validation, just a little bit. I just need a couple more drops, a couple more pills, a couple more sips. I just need enough to forget one more time what happened to me. I have needs and I have coping mechanisms. And this is how I'm gonna survive one more day. And when we live misdiagnosed, when we live in the natural instead of the supernatural, the only thing the world has to offer us, the only thing it knows how to do is to treat symptoms, is to numb symptoms. This man had his eyes down. Maybe he felt ashamed. Maybe he felt embarrassed. Maybe he felt hopeless, completely stuck in his limitations. He was only looking where he knew to look. He was only doing what he knew to do. People only look where they know to look. They only do what they know to do, no matter how damaging, no matter how dysfunctional, no matter how ineffective, no matter how unhelpful. Church, it's not our job to judge how needy people get their needs met. It's our job to bring them the solutions. 
Religious people judge. Religious people expect behavior modification from unbelievers. Maybe you grew up in that church. You can't come in here looking like that. You can't come in here smelling like that. You can't come in here wearing that. You can't come in here with those people. People don't need our judgment. People need our Jesus. Judgment never cured anybody. Jesus did not to come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Let's get about the business of Jesus. Peter said, look up. This man looked up at him with expectation. He said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly this man's feet and ankles became strong. Peter did not meet this man's expectations. He entirely defied them. This man was expecting something, but he was expecting another coin to clank in his cup because all he knew was his ailment. All he knew was how to beg. But then Peter came along and Peter said, look up, look up. There's more, there's more. There's more than what you've experienced. There's more than the hand you've been dealt. There's more than your disappointment. There's more than the pain you've endured. There's more than the abuse that you've suffered. There's more than the dreams that you've buried. There's more than what they've said about you. There's more than what you've known to believe for up to this point. There is more than meets the eye. Peter diagnosed the man. And who are you passing by every day on a familiar path, head down on their pain, cup out, and Holy Spirit has put you in their path to say, I do not have what you want, but I do have what you need, and what I have, I give to you. Say, it's my job. We need to see people. We need to tell them to look where they have never looked and we need to offer them what they have never been given. Peter said, what I have, I give to you. We can only give what we have. We can only give what we know that we have. Peter knew what he had because there was a Peter before the Holy Spirit and there was a Peter after the Holy Spirit. The Peter before the Holy Spirit cut a dude's ear off. Jesus had to... Put that back on. The Peter before the Holy Spirit denied Jesus to a teenage girl on the day of his crucifixion right in front of him. The Peter after the Holy Spirit weeks later stood up before all Jerusalem and preached the gospel in power. There's Peter's update to the gram, how it started, how it's going. How many of you are grateful that it's going so much better than it started because of the work of Jesus in your life? I am grateful that I no longer go to the places I used to go, do the things I used to do, say the things I used to say, believe the things that I used to believe. Do you know what you have? Jesus said in John 16, seven, this is so important. Jesus said to his disciples, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. This made no sense to them. They had no context for this statement. Why would it be better that Jesus left? This is Messiah they've been believing for for generations. What Jesus was talking about was his crucifixion, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension into heaven. They would understand this later. He said, unless I go away, 
The advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Why on earth was it better that Jesus went away? So that he could send his Holy Spirit and multiply himself, multiply his power through the church, through you. Can I take you to school for a second? I heard something taught so clearly recently, I had to teach it to you this way. Track with me here. All power belongs to God. All power has always belonged to God. All power always will belong to God. He reigns supreme over every spiritual and physical reality. Authority over the earth, God delegated. Power is the ability to control. Authority is the right to control. In the beginning, when God created, in the book of Genesis, the scripture tells us that when God made Adam and Eve, he gave humanity, he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth the right to rule as people made in God's image. In Genesis chapter three at the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, they surrendered that authority to Satan. Satan is now the ruler of the world. God honored his word when he allowed that to happen because that's what they chose to do with their authority. God also honored his word when he regained that authority through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who could have regained humanity's lost authority because he himself was made human. Jesus, both fully God and fully man, was able to do what we were not able to do, and he took back the keys of hell. This is why Jesus said after his resurrection, all authority in both heaven and on the earth have been given to me. Jesus took it all, Satan lost it all. And God is still honoring his decision. He is still honoring his choice to work and to rule through humanity, through his body, through his church, through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of darkness. This is war. And this is so important for us to understand as believers. Because how many times are we passively praying to God to move when God is waiting for you to move, honoring his decision to give you dominion? We are the representatives of Jesus Christ's authority in the earth. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to execute. Jesus says, it's better that I go away so that you can do what I can do. So that you're anointed to do what I am anointed to do. Say, it's my job. Peter knew what he had. Peter knew what he had. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk in the name, in the name that is above all names, in the name that is above all darkness, all disease, every manner of ailments, all addiction, all division, the name that is above every idol on earth and every demon in hell, the name that is above every principality, the name before which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Peter knew whose authority he represented. Let me ask you this question, believer. When people get you, do they get you or do they get Jesus? When people get you, do they get the same thing they get day in and day out on the street? The same attitude, the same disengagement, the same disgust, the same judgment, the same gossip, the same division, 
the same powerless solutions. We live as powerless Christians when we choose to represent ourselves instead of the king. Don't give them your opinion in Jesus' name. Don't give them your preference in Jesus' name. Don't give them your politics in Jesus' name. Don't give them your truth in Jesus' name. My truth is powerless. There is one truth and that truth shall set you free. And his name is Jesus. If we are to represent him, if we are to represent Jesus to a lost and hurting world, we have to represent his will, his wishes, his heart, his desires. What was Jesus anointed to do? Jesus tells us when he quotes Isaiah, he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, to give them beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, a spirit of praise instead of despair. This is what you are anointed to do. This is why he is called the great physician because there is no disease he will misdiagnose and no ailment he cannot heal. I think about this moment when Peter heals the layman and the authority of Jesus' name in contrast to the moment that Peter is first called by Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is there teaching a great crowd of people. The crowd becomes so large, Jesus asks Peter to borrow his boat so that he can push out a little bit from shore. It's a good day when God asks to borrow your boat. <laughs> Some of y'all like, you can have the Jeep, Jesus. Here, the keys, just don't touch the boat. Let God in the boat. Jesus says, let's go out into deeper water, Peter. Lower the net on the other side for a catch. And Peter's like, eh, eh. I don't know if you know this, Jesus, but I'm a fisherman and uh, I'm a good one and I've been fishing all night long and we've caught nothing and you're a teacher and I'm the fisherman. <laughs> but if you say so, Jesus. So they push out, they do what Jesus says, they lower the net on the other side of the boat in the middle of the day. Fish are not supposed to be caught like that. And they pull in a catch so big, it almost sinks the two boats that they have. And it was in that moment that Peter realized for the first time who he had, who he had. And when he realized who he had, he fell down on his face and he said, Lord, away from me, I am a sinful man. Eyes down on his problem, head down on his limitation. Some of you, when you're in the presence of God, you respond the same way. Away from me, Jesus. You feel unusable, you feel unworthy, you feel inadequate. This whole time I'm talking to you about your authority in Christ and you've been silently disqualifying yourself in your mind. Well, Beth, you don't know the decisions that I've made. You don't know where I come from. You don't know my story. You don't know my mistakes. You don't know the bridges I've burned, the relationships I've ruined. Nobody believes in me. I don't even believe in me. I believe God could do anything through anybody. He just couldn't do it through me. And if that's you in this room at one of our locations or joining us online, I wanna to talk to you for a minute. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah. Satan wants to use shame in the life of the believer to keep you impotent in the power that you've been given. 
Don't hang on to shackles that Jesus died to set you free from. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I know this because it's true and I know this because that's my story. I was never gonna work for a church. What church would want me? I was certainly never gonna be doing this. This was God's idea. This was not my idea. And I don't know if that encourages you or scares you. It scares me. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter what we think we can do or what we can't do. What matters is what God can do through the life of a surrendered person. What Jesus says next is so important. He doesn't try to talk Peter out of his inadequacy. He doesn't disagree with Peter. He doesn't tell him to go recite 10 encouraging mantras in the mirror while he's brushing his teeth. He doesn't build him up. He doesn't try to change his mind. No, Jesus says to Peter two things, and these two things are for somebody in the room today. He says, don't be afraid. I will make you a fisher of men. I will. I will make you. I will. I am enough. Follow me. Learn from me. Watch me. Go with me. Abide in me. Obey me. In fact, Peter, I want you to get your eyes off of yourself altogether and get them on me. You don't know it yet, Peter, but I'm going to use you to build my church. You don't know it yet, Peter, but the same thing that I'm anointed to do, you're anointed to do. I'm gonna pour out my spirit on you. In fact, you're gonna do more than what I do. And he's gonna do it through you, 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 and he's gonna do it through you. Jesus wants to get in your boat. He wants to go out into deep water with you. He wants to use you to do the unexpected. He wants to do a miracle through you. He wants to use you to make a great catch. But you have to do what Pastor Sean said and get your hands on the nets. Where is Jesus asking you to lower your nets? And you're responding the way that Peter did at first. Eh. That fish, Jesus. Eh. That coworker. That neighbor. That family member. I've tried catching that fish, Jesus. That fish doesn't want to be caught. Other of you are responding, away from me, Jesus. I'm a fisherman and I'm a sinner and I don't do what you do. Nonetheless, nevertheless, Jesus is saying to you, lower the net. Right here, right now. Same fish, same you, different power different outcome, don't miss the miracle. Do you think that Peter could have ever imagined, this fisherman could have ever imagined the Acts chapter three, Peter? The one who healed a layman, the Acts chapter two, Peter? The one who preached before thousands, the same dude that cut somebody and denied Jesus, now healing and preaching, that is irony. But that is the version of Peter that Jesus always saw. And that is the version of you that Jesus sees, the one he created you to be, the one fully operational in the Spirit's power. When Jesus says, I will make you something, 
I will do it. He will finish the work that he began. Believe him, follow him, trust him, learn from him, abide in him, represent him, do it scared. The world needs you. The person that keeps coming to your mind this morning, that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your remembrance, that person needs you. You have influence in their life for a reason. God chose you. Who are you passing every day that needs what you have? Church, we have got to get our hands on the nets. You have got to get your hands on the net of your school, your community, your family, your workplace. Who needs to hear you say, silver or gold I do not have? But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, walk. That's our job. I met a dream teamer a couple days ago at an event. I asked her a little bit about her story. She said she'd been coming to LifePoint and serving for two years. She said, before that, I was so filled with anxiety and depression, I was contemplating killing myself. She cried out to a God she didn't know. Hosanna, God save. You know those Hail Mary prayers, God, if you're real, show yourself. A friend came along, told her about Jesus. She said, I had no idea who he was. I thought he was a fisherman. She wasn't wrong. Another friend invited her to Life Point. She started coming. She did what Pastor Daniel encourages us to do. She got connected. She gave it a year. Her life is completely changed. She said, you know what I love now? Is that my team's growing? I love welcoming new people on the team because I can do for them what was done for me. She has her hands on the nets. And we are passing by people everywhere crying out, Hosanna, God, if you are real, show yourself. Send me someone who has what you have. Next week is Easter Sunday. Pastor Daniel is gonna be preaching the gospel in power every single service. We are believing for supernatural salvation. I believe that as you listen to the Holy Spirit this week, people you asked to come with you before who said no, they'll say yes tomorrow. Cast it again, do it again. I believe that as we together do that, church, we will bring in a catch so big, our nets cannot contain it, our buildings cannot contain it. And the people in our lives who have their head down on their anxiety, on their depression, on their rejection, on their abandonment, on their brokenness, they're not gonna get more of the same. They're not gonna get what they expect, they're gonna get Jesus Christ. And when we walk in the authority that we have been given, church, the sick that Jesus came to save will receive their healing. That is our job. Say, it's my job. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. God, I pray that you would fall afresh on us. God, I thank you that you are a good father. You do not withhold your Holy Spirit from those who ask. God, so I pray that you would fall afresh on this body, God. 
I pray that our hearts would break with what breaks your heart, God. I pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our minds, open up our hearts to those that are hurting around us, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that those that we've been praying for, Jesus, that you are drawing to yourself, you would already begin working in their heart to give a yes to an invitation, but more than that, God, that they would say yes to salvation. God, we pray you would pour your spirit out on this house, God, that revival would begin in us and spread to our communities. God, I pray that you would open up the eyes of the blind, God, in every way that the enemy has blinded those in our lives who need to know your name, Jesus, we speak eyes open in Jesus' name. Eyes open in Jesus' name. Give this body boldness, give this body courage, give this body power from heaven, divine enablement to do what you have called us to do. We believe it and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Feel free to rate, review, and share with a friend. If you'd like to find out how you can get involved or partner with us financially, visit lifepoint.org or download the LifePoint app. Thank you for your generosity. We can do so much more together than we ever could apart. See you soon.